It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It took us close to 10 years to put President Obama's commitment to, uh, in the forum. And that's exactly what happened. Osama bin Laden was gone. That was 10 years ago. Think about that. We delivered justice to bin Laden a decade ago, and we've stayed in Afghanistan for a decade since. Since then, our reasons for remaining in Afghanistan have become increasingly unclear. Not according to many in the military, including uh, General Milley, who's chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and the the study done by Joe Dunford about the positives by staying in the area, even with a small presence. How does Admiral William McRaven feel about it? One of the most respected military men in the country, retired U.S. Navy uh, four-star admiral, author of of another great book, The Hero Code, Lessons Learned from Lives Well Lived, which we're going to get into, but Admiral... This news came out yesterday. It was not a big surprise. Welcome back. And what do you think about the president's decision? Yeah, thanks, Brian. Uh, great to join you. Well, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, the, the uh, Biden administration came to the same conclusion that the Trump administration did, which is, you know, we're not going to be able to have a military solution to the problems in, in Afghanistan. And, uh, you know, as a military leader, you know, at the end of the day, you just want to make sure your voice is heard. And I have it from very, very good sources that everybody from General Scott Miller, who is the ISAF commander, uh, to General Frank McKenzie, the CENTCOM commander, and, of course, Mark Milley and Secretary Austin, all four men who have extensive experience in Afghanistan, had a chance to sit down and talk to the president and, and express their concerns and lay out all the risks So what I know is that the president absolutely understands the risks that he and the country are assuming by by leaving Afghanistan. Um, But he has made that decision. And I know from the military leaders I've talked to, uh, you know, we're a professional military. We're going to salute smartly and and move out. So now that you're retired, what does Admiral McRaven think about that? Since you know and your intelligence or a phone call away or a text away to find out what's really happening on the ground. And you know that. Uh, where the, the attack on 9-11 20 years ago came from. And you know there's al-Qaeda and ISIS presence there today, and the Taliban's presence is increasing. And they haven't really had a, uh, they haven't really had a change of mindset. Uh, they're Sharia law-centric, uh, anti-women, and they're never going to reject al-Qaeda. Yeah, so, I mean, remember the reason we went, we went into Afghanistan, of course, was to ensure that uh, al-Qaeda did not have a safe haven uh, in Afghanistan, supported by the Taliban. So when you think about the last uh, 20 years, uh, we were successful in that aspect of the mission. No question about it. Uh, So now, if I'm a military leader and somebody says to me, look, here's the risks we're going to have to deal with. If we pull out of Afghanistan, there will be a resurgent Taliban. Uh, We will have to be concerned about al-Qaeda coming back into safe uh, and establishing safe havens. I would tell them, I can handle the Taliban safe haven issue. You give me the resources, give me the latitude to do my mission, and I will be able to have drones overhead. I will be able to have intelligence assets uh, on the ground. I will ensure that we have a quick re- uh, reaction uh, team available. I will ensure that we have a combat air patrol available. So I think we can manage the terrorism threat. And, of course, the Taliban have never been an existen- existential threat to the United States. 
the Taliban have, I mean, the al-Qaeda have been that threat that concerned us the most. So as we pull out the, the 2,500 guys, and then I'm sure the allies will follow us, again, if I'm a commander and you're giving me the mission, I can find out a way to keep, uh, to keep al-Qaeda at bay. Where are you? Where's your base? Yeah, well, again, you've got to negotiate that. But remember, nowadays, the, the drones that we have, and I won't go into the, into the exact specifics, but they've got a long dwell time, right? They had a long dwell time, so you could base them at a number of places in the region and still set up an orbit to maintain a 24-hour coverage of a particular region. This is not out of the realm of the possible. In terms of the aircraft support, you know, you put a carrier battle group uh, in the, the Gulf of Oman, you've got the reach, uh, you can come up the air corridor in Pakistan. So there are ways to do this. Now, let me be clear to your audience. Are there risks? Oh, you're absolutely right. There are risks. Look at All Iraq. Things, what's that? Look at Iraq. We were yeah, back there again, in two I, years. You bet. And, and, and so I'm hoping, and, I, and my expectation is we have learned from Iraq, and so our ability to keep an eye on the movement in Afghanistan is going to be critical. And again, I don't want your listeners to think that I don't think there are risks out there. You bet there are. Will there be a resurgent Taliban? There will. And I think the, uh, the Ghani government is going to have to ensure that the 350,000 Afghan national security forces that we trained are thinking about this and preparing to deal with the Taliban. Are there going to be threats to the women? There are. But, you know, when countries are under threat, uh, you know, they're just going to have to fight for, for their you know, living standard that they want. They're going to have to fight for their democracy. They're going to have to fight for what they want. Uh, we can help them in that regard. But at the end of the day, the Afghans uh, are going to have to step up and do some of this. But I do think that there are risks involved in pulling out of Afghanistan. I don't, I don't question that at all. The intel summary uh, shows that. My point is, if I'm a military commander and given the task of ensuring that al-Qaeda is no longer a threat or is not a threat coming out of Afghanistan, I think I can manage that if you give me the resources to do the job. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, 2,000 guys. We have not lost a guy this year, thankfully, two guys last right. year. So it's not like it's a hot fight. And we're not looking to do the 70,000 that General Petraeus right. was asked to bring in. I was just going to read you Petraeus' comments. He said, I'm afraid that we're going to look back in two years from now and regret the decision. He goes on, I think we need to be really careful about the rhetoric because ending U.S. involvement in the endless war doesn't end the endless war. It just ends our involvement. I fear that this war is going to get worse. So I know you respect General yeah. David Petraeus. Very much so. And, and again, Brian, I, I would not dismiss his assessment at all. And I'm not saying that. Uh, as I said, the risks are out there. What I'm telling you is, from a senior military standpoint, if, if a Mark Milley and a Lloyd Austin and, and Frank McKenzie and Scott Miller have the chance to sit down with our civilian leaders and say, Mr. President, here are the problems you're going to have to address. Here's what's going to happen if we leave. And the president makes that decision. Then again, as a military, we have an obligation to say, Sir, we got it. You've heard our voice, and now let's move out and, and do the best we can. And I know they will try to do that. Again, will it be easy? <laughs> no, it will not. Are uh, General Petraeus' concerns valid? You bet they are. But we're moving forward. Uh, you know, there, there's no point in looking back now. Let's look forward and figure out how to, uh, 
again, how to solve the problem. That's what we do in the military. All right. So, General, you, you went out to um, make your bed was a bestseller, number one bestseller forever. Everyone's reading it. They, they kind of <laughs> it spun off your commencement speech at the University of Texas. So you came out with the hero code. And it's not just about a bunch of great store military stories. It's about how to show values and integrity to kind of guide you through life. So you did it through telling stories, arguably the best way to do it. And di- different things that you try to get across. Number one, you talk about being humble. I'm going to just bring you to some of the stories and we can kind of move through it to give people an idea of why this book is so special. You say be humble. You tell the story of being at a dinner party and looking across and seeing this kind of quiet guy. uh, He ends up being an astronaut, the last one to walk on the moon. But how did he hold himself? Yeah, you know, I will tell you, uh, Brian, if folks like to make your bed, they're going to love the hero code. Uh, It's kind of of the same sort of uh, construct. But this was remarkable. So, I mean, I go to this dinner party, uh, and I'm sitting around the table, and I'm chatting with this fellow for about an hour and a half. And, uh, and he's probably in his early 80s. He and his wife are there, and they are just lovely. And I'm trying to, you know, kind of find out a little bit, bit about him. I find out he's in the Air Force. And I said, well, you know, my father was in the Air Force. My son was, is in the Air Force. And all he wants to do is talk about me and my family. He wants to know about my kids. He wants to know, you know, where my wife and I met and all. And, uh, and it isn't until after the dinner party that uh, Roger Staubach, the, uh, the Hall of Fame quarterback from the Dallas Cowboys, who was with us, comes up to me and he says, uh, hey, I see you were talking to Charlie. I said, yeah, yeah, seems like a real nice guy. And Staubach says, can you imagine that? And I said, well, what are you talking about, Roger? He said, can you imagine that? Can you imagine walking on the moon? And it then occurred to me, this was General Charles Duke, the youngest man ever to walk on the moon, and never once in that hour and a half conversation, did he mention that little tiny fact that he walked on the moon? But to your point, his humility did not come easy. You know, he comes back from the moon. He's a celebrity. He became a Christian. His wife became a Christian. He followed her, and he learned the value of humility. And today, he is just one of the gentlest, finest uh, men I've ever spent time with. Another example of hope. You talk about a mission to free POWs. And by the time they got there for this mission, they hadn't been moved. Uh, And you thought, wow, what a wasted mission. How does that play into hope? Yeah, you know, I had the opportunity, I think back in 2005, uh, to meet with the Sante Raiders. And, uh, and of course, the great Texan, uh, Ross Perot, used to host uh, these guys every year. So uh, Sante was a POW camp. Uh, Green Beret went in to try to rescue these guys. As they get to the Sante camp, it turns out the North Vietnamese had moved the, uh, the prisoners earlier, and the Green Beret come back, and, and for years they thought, yeah, again, it was a failed mission until the POWs were released in 1975. And the story the POWs told was, you gave us hope. You gave us hope when we were sitting in another POW camp because they, the POWs heard about the raid, and the, and the guys in the Hanoi Hilton heard about the raid, and they said, we knew we had not been forgotten. And, he, and they said that hope is what sustained us until we were finally released because we knew that, the, that America had not forgotten us and were trying to do everything to rescue us. Hope is the most powerful force in the world, and we see it time and time again. And that was a, a great story in, in talking to some of these POWs. A great friend of our show is Gary Sinise, and you talk about General Abizade in a high-intensity <laughs> uh, meeting with all the higher-ups in command. Was it Iraq or Afghanistan? Iraq, right? Uh, Afghanistan. Oh, Afghanistan, Afghanistan, my bad. Yeah. And in comes this guy he didn't recognize. What was his request, and what did you get from this story? 
Yeah, so you we're having dinner with all these uh, generals and admirals. General John Abizade, the CENTCOM commander, is there. And in walks a civilian. He, he looks a little stunned looking at all the generals. And he said, uh, kind of blurts out, he says, hey, uh, who's in charge here? And, of course, we all thought that was pretty funny. We knew General Abizade was in charge. And he goes up to Abizade, and he introduces himself. And he says, sir, I'm Gary Sinise. I'm an actor. I played Lieutenant Dan in the movie Forrest Gump. And, of course, we'd all seen it. It was a magnificent uh, movie, and he did a great job. And he says, I'm here because I want to bring school supplies to the children of Afghanistan. And it was interesting. As Gary went on, he made this impassioned plea about getting a C-130 so he could deliver supplies. And, you know, you can see guys around the room going, doesn't this guy know we're in the middle of a war? But then as he continued to talk, the entire tenor of the room changed. And as I point out in the book, you know, it's easy to get jaded by war. You can become kind of callous to the indifference and the suffering And then all of a sudden, when you see somebody like a Gary Sinise or others that have compassion for these young kids in Afghanistan that go out of their way uh, to help people, it really kind of reaffirms your humanity. And, man, the last thing you want to lose in the middle of a war is your humanity. And and I know you know Gary. I mean, he has gone on. Every time I was at, at Walter Reed or Bethesda, there was Gary Sinise, you know, trying to help soldiers. No fanfare. Uh, he's a remarkable guy. And again, I saw this in a lot of places, people with great compassion. Absolutely. And you you talk about uh, some other things, integrity, go back in history, John Adams and the Boston massacre, defending British soldiers in a time of revolution in America. He was their lawyer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and of course, if you listen to the historians, they will tell you that that was a seminal event in American law because it really was about the law. We, we were going to prosecute these British soldiers who were responsible for the Boston massacre. And, and of course, nobody wanted to raise their hand and say, well, I'll defend them, but Adams did. And, and of course it changed everything about how we did business as, as a legal system. My mother used to love to tell this story because it was about defending people that you didn't always agree with or that might be on the other side. And of course, Adams wins the, wins the legal battle. Uh, and they are uh, they're set free because it was a, a case of self-defense. But, uh, a, again, a powerful moment in American history. What about you? Talk about humility. Uh, this is a quote from your book. I think it's from General McChrystal. Colin McRaven, the smartest SEAL on the, team, on the teams, <laughs> is like saying he's the fastest sumo wrestler in a race. What good is he? He's a Texan who can't ride a horse and a Navy guy who can't sail a boat. Basketball, <laughs> the man's got two and uh, two-inch vertical jump. Have a sense of humor, show some humility. That's what McChrystal was saying, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, as you know, Brian, it's kind of part of the special operations creed. You've got to harass people all the time. You don't want them to get an inflated head. And so I talk about the fact that humor is such an important part of these kind of noble qualities. And, you know, I saw humor all the time when you go into the hospitals where these kids have been hit by an IED or, or shot. You know, they'd lost arms or legs or, or they were blast victims. And, and they would make a joke about it. And it was a way of saying, look, you may have beat me in the fight, but I'm not beaten. You know, you're never going to beat me until I kind of lose my sense of humor. So humor just becomes this both, both a sword and a shield. Right. And you always have to be prepared to laugh at yourself. If you're not, you know, if you take yourself too seriously in life, 
uh, it's not good for you and it's not good for the people around you. And people listening right now say, well, I'll never be a Navy SEAL, I'll never do this, well, and I'll never be a famous actor, but be prepared to be special and be a hero. And you hearken back to Lincoln, and I'm up against a break, but as you said, Lincoln once said that I will prepare and someday my chance will come. Out there when you're listening, part of the hero code is pre-think what you're going to do in those situations where you have to step up. Yeah. Well, everybody, the point of the book, uh, Brian, is that you don't, as you said, you don't have to be astronauts. You don't have to be actors. Everybody can be a hero. You can learn from the great men and women who have been heroes. And I don't mean great as in notable, the great people that you see, the coaches and the cops on the street and, and the, the soldiers, the sailors, the airmen, Marines, you can learn from these people and it will help you be a bit better person and I think it will help the people around you. Right. Adam uh, William McRaven, great job. And please make this interview better than the one you do with uh, Chris Wallace because he <laughs> is my rival. The Hero Code uh, is the name of the book. Admiral, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. Back in a moment. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.